You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Shop Podcast for 2023. I'm Charles Firth and as always, I'm joined by Dave Milner. G'day, Charles. And Joe Dyer. Hi, how are you going? All right. Yeah. I think there's something quite shot-ish that we are, you know, still happy new yearing and it's like halfway through February. Yeah, it, look, I think it's totally fair enough. Part of the shot's demand has always been two and a half months of annual leave per Christmas. <laughs> so we're back a month early then, are we? <laughs> As the employee that makes those unreasonable demands, in my defence, nothing happens in January whatsoever. Our remit is Australian politics, and they've just been at barbecues for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, we kind of crank back up with the annual tearing of our hair out about Australia Day, and then we're sort of back on after that. Yeah, like Australia Day was tipping the toes in the water, getting pissed off a bit, and then going back to the beach for a few more weeks. Yeah. And now that the politicians yeah. are back, we're back. And I suppose, and and one of the things that happened uh, over the Christmas period was that Sally Rugg. And Monique Ryan had a bit of a falling out um, over yeah, whether you so. get a break or not. Yeah, it seems so. I mean, it's an interesting case and it's quite a vexed one, I think, for progressives and for progressive women generally because, you know, both of those two women have contributed a lot to the to the cause um, and it's never a good look to be fighting amongst yourselves in public. You'd kind of want that to be, you know, behind the looking glass in a way. But it is an interesting dilemma, and I think uh, Sean Kelly has ever wrote quite a perspicacious piece about it um, in that clearly the demands that are placed on staff generally uh, in the you know political world and political life are absolutely enormous. And I think for the independents as well, for the Teals going in, having those advisors sort of numbers slashed um, as they were embarking upon their new journey and their expectations were thus sort of smashed to pieces in terms of workload, um, would not have helped. But the thing is for an independent, I mean, essentially you're trying to be an effective parliamentarian with only the support really of the parliamentary library without the grand resources of the party's fully developed policies um, and any number of researchers that have already done kind of the hard yards and the work. So you're trying to be an effective parliamentarian, but for those independents as well, they're essentially managing startup community organisations as well. Trying to maintain that energy back in your electorate um, is both critical in terms of, you know, what you're setting out to do, but also, you know, pragmatically in terms of your um, re-election bid as well. So you have to kind of keep that energised. And then... You know, from my little foray into politics when I was just a candidate, I mean, the just tsunami of correspondence and contacts that you get on a day-to-day basis on any number of really obscure niche issues on which you're suddenly expected not just to have to be an expert but to have a, a firm interest in, and to follow up because otherwise 
retribution in the form of a disgruntled um, or just fucking pissed off um, mm. constituent follows. I mean, the, there really would be no end to the amount of work that you could do. So to suddenly for an office to be doing it with, you know, five less advisors than they thought were going to happen. And, you know, Sally was essentially policy advisor, media advisor, political strategist, office manager, all in one person. Like it isn't sustainable. Now, for her to take on that culture and to take on that sort of stark truth is actually really courageous. But, of course, on the other hand, it's, yeah, it gives um, ammunition <laughs> for the dark sides to kind of argue about, you know, whether it's capacity for HR management or um, people skills or commitment or any of those things. Um, mm. It's sort of like leading with the, with the left jaw as well. So it, I think there was a lot of people who were really conflicted about what they read um, and the process that was used to try and resolve the issue, did it have to go to court? Is it perhaps if it wasn't a real, there wasn't a real threat of going to court that it wouldn't be taken seriously and couldn't be a proper test case? Um, I mm. guess these are the sort of the issues that it, that it threw up. Obviously, I don't want anyone to work too hard. It's taken us six weeks to start podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> but... but but there are, I've definitely heard people say things like, what did she think she was getting into? And th yeah. that it's it's not a secret that political staffers are working ridiculous hours constantly. But, is that but, a fair point or is it not? But that's where that's where I think it is so fascinating because that was my first exact reaction was, well, yeah, what did she think she was getting into? Like, staffers are ridiculous. They work 24 hours a day. Like, I, I've got several close friends who are staffers and they're just – married to their job like you know you'll catch up for them with them at 7 p.m and then they'll be heading back to parliament house it's just ridiculous but do they do, you, do those friends actually have other people that they are married to as well apart from their job i mean I think yes yes that, they've well, got kids as well yeah you know, like but it's, it's just that, how is that reasonable it's, really it's, I mean, in, that's it's inhuman yes and that's why it's i think it's a really revolutionary thing to do because it is there's a cultural mind shift that has to happen where it's like, no, you, you, you're not that important. Like, I reckon one of the things of overwork is fragile male egos have in the past replaced their own sense of self-importance and, and value and love for themselves with this sort of external validation of, well, I work 24 hours a day, so therefore I must be really important, right? And nothing, nothing in the external public world is as important as time with your bloody children and, and loved ones. Well, and oh, the, the thing nice. about that as well <laughs> is that, you know, when you actually see what some of these staffers were doing, like then that's what the Robo-Debt World Commission showed when Michelle Miller kind of pulled the curtain back and actually they're getting up at sort of 5am to start trawling through the media so they can find different things to respond to to try and shove their particular MP forward now that's not necessarily the case in um with, in this office obviously because monique's doing very worthy things at all times unlike uh you know, <laughs> touch and, and the like but i mean if anything like if sally can't come forward and say this is not reasonable working mm. in that office in this moment in time i mean that's what the jenkins report was supposed to be about is that we have created an unsustainable culture that not only 
is ridiculous in terms of the way that the life that you lead, but actually creates the circumstances for misconduct uh, and abuse and burnout and stress and all of these things. Um, Well, I just think one of the fascinating things is that it seems to me that the only way you can change the culture is this terrible thing of somebody who's actually a victim of it having to come forward and fight it alone, right? Uh Like, you know, like you talk about being, you know, like victims of, of abuse, you know, talk about toxic masculinity, forcing them into this sort of isolated role as victim and crusader or whatever you know um and and what what this is is toxic individualism like there's actually there's a problem with the fact that nobody else is sort of lining up beside Sally Rugg and going hey yeah. we're all in this position together she's a good bearing the Where's full the st- brunt where is the staff of solidarity like i mean i get that everyone's on their own teams but across you know red blue green teal whatever there are a bunch of people basically being exploited and working inhumane mm. working hours so that our yeah. politicians can continue to do not very much. Well, I think we should probably be a little bit careful about that, even though I did um, lead with that when it came to some of the staffers. But because, as I say, with the crossbench in particular, I mean, there was a reason why um, Rex Patrick and Jackie Lambie, um, Rebecca Sharkey, uh, Kathy McGowan, that they all lobbied for more staff um, because the demands that are placed on their offices in particular having to be across all of the legislation because their vote could be a pivotal vote, particularly in the Senate, could be a pivotal vote on any number or on any issue at all that comes before them. It is them. definitely a, um, it's a different scenario for independents that don't have a big party machine behind them. And I, I do mm. think that this is, I mean, Albanese's move to cut political staffers before the start of this term, this is obviously a, a byproduct of that. Some of it is, I think, definitely. I look, I, I mean, I think he, you could absolutely argue should they have had, you know, six, um, but to go from that to kind of, you know, one and what that means, um, because they are not, it is disingenuous to say that they are just servicing an electorate. They are not, um, you know, they are the demands on them um, and the expertise that they need to develop. Um, and even just, I mean, I remember Sally tweeting when she first started uh, in the one of the first or first couple of parliamentary sitting weeks, she was sort of saying for every single um, politician and, par- and, and staffer that I have hounded to try and get a coffee when I've been out up in Canberra lobbying and just said, oh, come on, it's only one coffee, I apologise now. I had absolutely <laughs> no idea um, just the onslaught um, of mm. requests. Uh, well, the and, obvious... know, we all know what it's like when we have meetings through a working day and so you just have meeting, meeting, meeting and you don't actually get to your work until most people are going home. I mean, I think it's like that all the time. The obvious solution, though, is that Monique Ryan should take some donations from Chevron uh, <laughs> who have been th- throwing their money around everywhere politically. I think there's a few um, online gambling companies who are going to have a bit of spare cash now mm. that um, Sheryl's not allowed to take money from them anymore as well. <laughs> and that would solve the whole problem. So it's sort of a little bit, well, especially as, I mean, that's what the political parties do as well. So Yeah, it's kind of like, have 
Um, I mean, it was really interesting because I think over the last the, the last few weeks, it was really not a good time to be a partner at PwC with the revelations that were coming out about the way that their advice had been deployed or not. Um, and the first partner who basically had just taken all of the highly confidential information that they'd been giving because they were preparing work for the federal government and shared it liberally around the organisation with not just their existing clients to give them that edge, but actually used it to try and attract new clients. Look, come watch, come over here because we've got all this confidential information that we're not supposed to tell anyone that we're going to use for your benefit. So that was kind of um, the first thing they did. And then the second was that it really was one of the most entertaining afternoons in at the Robo Debt Royal Commission when basically the PwC partner had was just caught out lying again and again and again about this unfinished report that they basically didn't finish uh, to give to the government because the government took one look at the executive summary and said, you can't fucking tell us that. We're not supposed <laughs> to know any of this shit. Um, and I think that Commissioner Holmes's uh, choice of words were, I have to say uh, your evidence is stretching credulity, <laughs> which I think is, you know, the best legal way of saying you are an outrageous fucking liar. You're a fucking liar. Yeah. Yes. Full yeah. of shit. So, yes, embedding expertise from the corporate sector probably has a bit more of a spotty record these days. And on that, we should probably just have a, a moment's micro silence for uh, Alan Tudge's career because um, yes. he resigned. He did. Pouring my coffee out for him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really was. You think, well, with Pell dead uh, and Porter gone, like as Tudge was sort of teetering on mm. the precipice, you had to say that, you know, Louise Milligan had gone for the trifecta there and had, mm. you know, achieved it pretty uh, successfully. It's nice to Not see a It's nice to see. It's to do with the murder. Like she didn't murder George Pell, by the way, but. Louise Milligan didn't murder George Pell. No, just to make that. Clear. Oh, my, she's gone down in my estimation. <laughs> I thought she had. That's weird. Sorry, Dave, Typical you were about a- to say something. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm distracted now. But the ABC pulling its punches again, <laughs> oh. pulling its murder, yeah. <laughs> pulling its assassinations. <laughs> I did like your cameo at the um, at the Pell funeral, Charles. Oh, thank you. Yes. Can we yes. talk about that, or have you spoken about that on the Chaser already? Yeah, we. Uh, if you didn't see it, uh, we took along a coffin filled to the brim with evidence because we thought, in honour of George Pell, you know, that we would bury all the evidence alongside him, which is exactly what he would have wanted. It's what he spent yeah. most of his life doing. So. He might not have had enough room in the coffin, actually, so it was good of you to have provided an entirely new coffin to go mm. alongside him. My favourite part was when the security guards weren't letting you in and you said you'd just move it off to another diocese quietly. <laughs> That's right. That's how it works around here, isn't it? <laughs> I had quite a good, like, because um, they were shoving me at one point and I went, don't touch me, I'm not an altar boy. That's nice. It's amazing how, because what happens is you get really nervous beforehand and I was I was terrified, and so were all the sort of um, crew and Lachlan, who was sort of the other Indeed. coffin holder, Paul Bearer, and yeah, Paul Bearer of this podcast. And we were so nervous in the car on the way there, and then we took the coffin out of the back of the car, and suddenly, and I just did a bit of breathing exercises, and suddenly you're just in the zone, and you suddenly all can think again. But there, <laughs> there's a sort of half hour period in the lead up where you just 
so sort of terrified. It's like I and then, but then in the moment you just sort of it's completely fine. It's like being normal. Did you ever see that interview? Um, oh, no, I don't think it was the interview. But remember a race around the world that spawned all of those excellent. Yes, um, kind of, including John Saffron. Well, John Saffron is the person I was going to cite because he filmed himself before he was about to kick his AFL footy over the wall in the border of Israel and Palestine and that was going to be his gag. Like he was just going to retrieve the ball. Come on, it's my 40, you know, can't I have it? And you see him just sitting there going, what the fuck am I doing? Oh, my God, I can't. No, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then kick the ball and then just like run like the wind. And you do think, wow, that is commitment to your craft. And so I salute you in your own small way, Charles, as also demonstrating solid commitment to comedic craft. Well, it's funny because um, <laughs> after the start, like after it happened, we were all like, "Oh, that was great! Yeah, oh, we should have videoed ourselves, you know, beforehand." Yeah, yeah because yeah. because there were some funny moments, like trying to fit all the evidence into the coffin, <laughs> into the car. You had was, too much evidence to yeah, even fit right. into a small family sedan. Yeah, that's right, exactly. Yeah, so. Ridiculous. Um, Absolutely ridiculous. I but it's, that. I mean, it's been a good 2023 in terms of deaths so far. Certainly It has. wasn't just Pell, it was Ratzinger also Ratzinger died. died. Yeah. Um, Jim Molan uh, also yep. gone. Yep. Um, and that was so, when um, Jeg, Greg Sheridan was you know, saying mournfully that, it, you know, within a week Australia had lost two of its most splendid sons. <laughs> it was like, you know, Greg, I, I think we'll struggle on, mate. <laughs> so, so what is <laughs> We'll survive, Greg. <laughs> but what what is in it for, you know, because Alan Jones went to the funeral, uh, Tony Abbott was very vocal about... Peter Dutton went to the funeral. What, what, the amazing... Yeah. Guy Made was. Very why, why would you? I mean, even aside from all the sort of un, you know, proven um, allegations against yeah. Bill, you know, even if you just look at his actual record of formulating the Melbourne response, which essentially silenced victims and and buried evidence for decades, like. How how why would anyone turn up to his funeral except well, to take the piss out of it? Or you know. I mean, this might be overly cynical, and perhaps I'm like discounting Peter Dutton's like staunch commitment to you know Catholicism or protecting uh, people that protect pedophiles. But is it perhaps another culture war prong? Is it? I keep thinking back to that Andrew Bolt headline. That but ridiculous sh- no, sorry, headline. sorry, no, no, wait, sorry, wait, wait, no, wait. no, what? What, so the, what, the culture war is now, oh, we're pro-pedophile. Oh, yeah. the left are anti-pedophile. Charles, like, Charles. what the but, fuck? That's Charles. a terrible culture war idea. <laughs> no, but you, that's, a, the... like, that's a non-starter, Dave. You're missing the point. It's not going to work. You're missing the point. It is working and it does work and it is what they're doing. What? They've taken, they've taken the side of pro-destroying the entire planet. I don't think they're that worried about this little thing. It is... It's pissing off the woke. No, it's no, but, but there's money. There's money in destroying the planet. Like the, there's a whole lot of moneyed interests in. There's a lot of money in, in, in protecting in the Catholic Church, Charles. Well, and the other no, thing um, where there was a, I think it was in the Saturday paper um, where I can't remember who it was now who wrote that quite detailed piece about you know it was a strategy um, of Pell's to court News Limited. Um, you know he would take mm. the major journalists and op-ed writers out to lunch. He would turn on 
um, which for those those of us, it's surprising to learn that he had one, but apparently a kind of a charming, <clears throat> entertaining side. He for you know for literally decades, as he mm. rose through the ranks of the Catholic Church, first in Melbourne and then in Sydney, he would assiduously court these key players so that they would then provide him with the you know fantastic yeah. coverage that he got, um, and then where it sort of embedded within his broader strategy they were kind of beholden to him in a PR sense not in any kind of you know institutional or weird corrupt sense Um, but they became part of the tribe and as we know you know News Corps and and lots of other different organisations there's nothing they're going to do as vociferously as defend fellow members of their tribe Yeah, Um, and particularly yeah well it also then does become you know my enemy's enemies. Um, I mean, he Pell wasn't even their enemy, but when they perceived that he was someone that the ABC were attacking and not just the ABC but the apotheosis of horror within the ABC, Louise Milligan, um, mm. then that will raise their hackles even further. Exactly. Um, it's not just about money. It is about protecting your right to be a horrible, horrible person. Yes, yes. Well, the yeah. rights particularly of a certain stratum of society to be horrible, horrible people um, yes. and that they do close ranks. I mean, if there's anything the last few years have taught us. And if, if you were Tony Abbott, that's the only thing you've got left is to be a horrible, yeah. horrible person. And yeah. sort of be weirdly <laughs> sycophantic and just like so obsequious in the way. I mean, that, like, eulogy yes. that he delivered was quite extraordinary, um, and mm. yet he's, he did it with a seemingly straight face. The, the bolt headline I was just... trying to get across before Charles interrupted me, which he was about to do just then, was <laughs> why do white Australian men keep being arrested for having sex with children? Oh, that's yes. Not, that's not me paraphrasing. That's a News Corp headline from their top columnist after having hung out with George Pell over the years. Yeah. I, I think it's very, <laughs> because very they clearly. Keep having sex. <laughs> I think it's very clearly. Just yet and it, that's stupid against prompt. the law. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, yeah. Yeah. There's good answers to that rhetorical question. <laughs> <laughs> or is it a lament that the police are too effective? Is it? Is that's it actually... not usually Bolt's take. He usually wants to be no, harder. That's not usually anybody's take. Yeah. <laughs> Damn cops. <laughs> hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Anyway, uh, dangerous territory. Charles, we should talk about you had a bit of a rant last week, as you were prone to do, and mm. about the RBA, about how the fact that we cannot not afford anything anymore and the RBA's yes. solution is to make it even more difficult to afford things. Yes. Uh, but you came up with a what might be a good idea, and I've, I'm finding it quite unsettling, a bit unnerving. <laughs> yes. It is, it is a problem. Um, a lot of people have contacted me about that, and in actual fact... Several academics have reached out since I published that article really? to, do, to do the modelling on it because it's such a good idea. 
right? Is that true? I have basically single-handedly solved the entire housing solved crisis the housing in Australia. Crisis. Oh, my God. Yes. For those who haven't read um, your article in the shop, which I can't believe is anybody listening to this, but um, yeah. give us a pricey and then talk a little bit about what the yeah. – re- academics really believe that this could be – this could yeah. be something that could work outside of the realms of an article in the shop. Okay, so so the thing is, it is two pronged. The first one is um, all this sort of renters' rights thing, which is basically adopt what they do in Spain, which is you have five year tenancies on renting and stuff like that. Like that's a sort of no brainer. And the and other little pets. pre, the little pre thing, which is not part of the solution, but I think would make us all feel better, is we sack Philip Lowe. So that's just you know, <laughs> yep. Um, and, and but it's related, but that's related to the solution in a way because the point of the article is in Australia you've got two types of title in the way that you can own a house. You can own it through Torrens title, which is freehold, where you just own the house, right? Or you can own strata, which is essentially you own an apartment and you sort of own the thing, but you still have to have arguments with your neighbours about, you know. Mm garbage bin room etiquette yeah. and stuff like that you sort of but you've got there's a title to that apartment even if, if it's not the underlying land you share the underlying land right my argument is that the problem with both of those titles is that they are entirely commodified that it is the same and to philip lowe who is possibly the biggest moron on earth like he literally obviously went to economics school, did Economics 101, listened to Milton Friedman and then just thought, well, no other subtleties are required to run an economy. Let's just run with that then. Because Milton Friedman in the 1950s, very famously, um, basically had this idea that you wouldn't do anything to an economy except for one thing, which is control the interest rates. So when... When too many people, when inflation is high, that means that too many people must be buying too many things. And so what you've got to do is you've got to take money out of the economy. And the way you do that is you raise interest rates. And so everyone has to pay more for money. So you pay the banks, you pay all the private banks more money, which means that nobody else, nobody has enough money to spend. And so prices eventually start going down again, right? Mm-hmm. And and the thing is that that it sort of does work for consumer items like you know cars are really expensive at the moment take lots of money out it reduces demand for cars right but philip lowe has gone oh, okay well let's let's do that for like literally his answer to a question about rental prices was oh well you know we'll just jack up interest rates we'll take money out of the economy and that will reduce demand for renting, right? So because people won't have enough money to rent, for and a so home. they'll just for be a homeless. Because <laughs> people won't need a home. It'll be a like, boon what the for fuck? <laughs> yes, it's the dumbest, most moronic. So the problem in Australia is, and this is not just Philip Lowe. This is like decades of the commodification of houses. They're treated just like any other. Mm. Thing. And so suddenly, like, I, we have got an apartment development right next to us, which just got built in the last 10 years. And very progressively, our uh, council and state government insisted that I think it was about 20% of these 2,000 dwellings had to be affordable housing, right? And we were, oh, wow, that's amazing. There's a whole block of affordable housing, right? 
And the reason it's just a whole block that they built last, right, is it's still commodified housing. It's not like it's community housing. It's not like it's government housing. What it is is just really fucking small houses, right? Like really (laughs) fucking tight. We we went and had a look at them. And it's like, oh, look at this two-bedroom, no-living room. You know, a house. You know, or or you could get a, a a spacious studio apartment with no bedrooms to to fit your family. Like, so can I fuck? ask Charles on that point? Was the twenty percent was that just in terms of number of dwellings, or was it floor space? Um, because that it was, was it, number number. Well, of so dwellings. obviously, then that's yeah. why they can get away with it being yeah. so fucking tiny. Yeah, but they but they all had to be like it had to be like oh seven hundred thousand or less or something like that, and so yeah. and you know an apartment, you know like in Sydney is just always going to be unless you make it incredibly shitty, is always yeah. going to be more than seven hundred thousand. So they had to sort of they right, probably Mr. put spikes in the floors just to all make right, it more Mr. uncomfortable. Smarty pants. All right, all right, let's hear okay, a better so, idea than spikes it. in the floors. I, so, I, I like the spikes all, in the floors idea. I want to hear what bad. you've got. All by way of preamble, which is we put more spikes in more floors. No, 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 that was <laughs> Philip Lowe's idea. Um, no, no. The, the, so my argument is that we need a new form of title, right? So, I mean, there's things that you could do to the existing property stock. Like you could abolish negative gearing. You, yeah. You, you know, you could... You could abolish a whole lot of tax deductions that make owning property as an investment ridiculously good, right? But given that no one politically is going to do that in a billion years, right, instead we just need land reform. We actually need a new form of title, which is called owner-occupier title, and the only thing you can do is live in it, right? And, And the whole idea is that... It's not an investment. You can't rent it out. If you did rent it out, you wouldn't be allowed to claim any of the expenses as a deduction anyway. It wouldn't work as an investment. And if you move out, you have to sell it, right? And my argument is there are two things that could happen. First of all, the state governments could chip in on this title by abolishing stamp duty. So, you know, you can transfer between houses relatively frictionlessly. um, Yeah. But you're owning it when you're staying in there, right? And the second thing, and the most important thing is that the RBA, the fucking Philip Lowe's of this world, could help out by actually setting a different interest rate for that style of property, right? So, so what happens is you have, you have an apartment block, and maybe it's not 20%, maybe it's 30% of apartments have to be owner-occupier title, because that's what—that's the percentage of renters now in Australia, thirty percent, right? Mm, so mm. you set it at—that's the sort of level of stock that you need to sort of actually start solving this problem, right? And what you do is, um, they so the interest rate on that should be set to ensure price stability. It's not an investment. No one can get rich owning an owner-occupier title house because the point of owner occupier is that the price never goes up and never goes down it's the and the interest but rate why why wouldn't it why wouldn't the price still go up why wouldn't there be capital returns that you could realize if the owner occupied apartment that you own is in uh well an area, that would only sort after area that yeah. ultimately you know the supply is less than demand well that would only happen if the rba wasn't doing its job because 
because its job would be to set the um, the uh, supply of owner occupier title, the interest rate for the supply of owner buyer title, at such a level that that doesn't happen, that there is enough supply to meet demand. Now I know, Joe, in this country. We have lived for decades without the idea, with this whole notion that supply should never meet the demand in the housing market, right? Like that's foreign to Australians. In the rest of the world, what actually happens is governments, and I know this seems foreign, it's a really weird concept, but governments go, oh, right, over the next 10 years, there's going to be, we're going to need an extra million houses, right? So why don't we build a million houses and then. And then the price stays relatively stable. That's what happens in Germany. That's what happens in many parts of Europe. You sound like some instead, kind of communist, Charles. <laughs> instead, here they go, and this is literally Labor Party policy. Like, f- fuck the libs who don't give a fucking shit. The Labor Party's actual stated policy going into the last election was we will run a deficit of 500,000 dwellings. Like, they made a whole announcements about how they're going to build an extra 10,000 here and there. Mm. But their actual plan means that they will be in deficit by 500,000 more dwellings over the next 10 years. Like, their plan is for housing prices, to, to, for there to be a housing catastrophe, right? Mm. And yeah. so, and 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 part of the problem is that because we're in this commoditized thing, our interest rates on houses are uh, the same. Like our, like we need more housing. We're not in a housing boom, right? So mortgage, like interest rates on housing, should not be going up at the moment because more houses should be built, right? So, but so instead, me... because it's linked to the price of cars and chocolates and cabbages and broccoli <laughs> and all that sort of other inflationary stuff. Suddenly, we've got Philip Lowe going, oh, well, broccoli's the same as fucking houses. Why don't we just jack up interest rates everywhere? And you're going, no, it's just too unsettled. Like, instead of monetarism 101, let's have monetarism 102 and actually <laughs> separate, a, a, separate a fundamental human right of shelter from fucking whether you can buy the next Apple Watch or not. Like, they're just two different things. They you're totally, are right. You're totally right, but please take a breath. Just, just <laughs> <laughs> let's just like bring it down. My question then: so you're creating basically a secondary housing market. It's its own thing, just for people that want to invest in having a roof rather than having a retirement big bank account. How does it? And that, that they market... can own that they can put yeah, in the no, walls. So they don't have to ask anyone. It's a home, not a house, and. What does that do to the other housing market? Does it have any effect on that? Right. So, so the point is that will it drive up, you know, the value of freehold because, you know. Yeah, because there is, there the will be a scarcity of that relative. If you're yeah. taking out um, some of the freehold title and converting it into yeah. an occupied title, yeah. does that make freehold even more valuable? And do we yeah. care if we can and do we get care? access no. to shelter? They can suck shit. They can just suck shit. Whatever happens, happens. Fuck them. But it, well, but doesn't that mean that you are generating more wealth for undeserving wealthy people? Yeah, you, no, Charles. The problem is we don't want to give, you know, the boomer with the fourth property even more money on that fourth property. Is there a risk that we do that because well, their supply the plan, of fourth the plan, properties is scarcer? 
the plan at the moment. Oh, I, I can't see that. Ha- like, if if that happens, I think that's because we've got the policy settings wrong in terms of how much we require to be this new type of title, right? Like, I think, yeah. I think, you know, there's a sort of thing. But at the moment, the plan is that well, the solution to the problem of boomers owning everything is that they should just die. Like Philip Lowe, actually, in in 2021, in giving testimony, this is in September 2021, he, it was to a parliamentary committee, he basically said, well, let's just wait till the boomers die so that, <laughs> so that the, you know, and he was worried that some people wouldn't have access to dead boomers' inheritances, right? That was, that was his... Which and is you're just going, true. It doesn't really, like... How so much you're does right, he get yeah, paid? How much does Philip Lowe get paid to come up with the advice of just wait a little bit to, <laughs> to implement? Yeah, no, well, actually, as John Martin, so this argument has been around for a century, right? The whole idea of well, in the long run, the market will clear at, at whatever price it needs to be, right? And as John Maynard Keynes famously said, in the long run, we're all dead, right? Yes. Like you've got to fix it now. Well, look, it's interesting. So, can I ask? Um, you have had some academics kind of contact you about this. Yes, and yes. That- so, so, like David- Jordan Peterson, like who? <laughs> yeah, Jordan Peterson. No, there's this guy who was in Australia a few weeks ago, who's some famous academic, who's invented this thing called housing tenure, right? And right. and and the whole idea is that. Really, once you get into a house, you know, if you're renting it, then you sh- just should not be chucked out. And there should be no reason for for being allowed to chuck you out. Like, you selling that underlying asset, who gives a shit? Fuck you. You rented it out. You wanted to make money out of it. Basic human right. Fuck you. You know, you, um, you know, like, there, there is no exigency that means you can chuck somebody out of a house that you're renting them. And and part of that is also you can't increase rents by 30, 40, 50% in one fucking year. Like, it's like, you know, no, you mm. set the price of rent. Oh, you're losing money because interest rates have gone up. Well, sucks to be you. Maybe you shouldn't <laughs> have fucking bought and tried to trade and profit off a fucking basic human right, you dickhead. <laughs> Um, anyway, he, he invented he invented that, and apparently um, he. I, I'm a bit. I, I don't think I'm going to name him yet because no, no, sure, sure, I want sure. him to. But 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 he's. But so there he's is interest- work being done to see yeah, if this yeah. could be actually worked is up this- into proper And, and the thing is, yeah. And you ask the question, what will be the effect on other types of, you know, property? I have no fucking idea. I'm just a fucking podcaster, satirist. <laughs> but but I but I think it's one of those ideas which everyone's gone. Oh, hang on. There might be something yeah. in there. And I think one of the reasons is because it's actually land reform. And land reform is something that happens to solve a, an immediate political crisis, right? And and if you get a land reform right, it can be like the Corn Laws, which lead to a thousand years of misery or whatever, or, or <laughs> success, whatever. You know, like... Yeah, like land and and the problem that Australia faces is it's stuck, right? Because politically, there's no constituency for getting rid of all the tax benefits of these perfect property investments, right? Mm. And so this land reform just goes around that problem. It just goes, well, fuck it. Like let's let's just grandfather all that stuff and start again with something that actually won't make the same mistake anymore because it's not it's not an investment. You can't rent it out. 
It's so just you would grandfather home. Grandfather all existing titles. So this would be about new dwellings initially. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't see any way because people because yeah, other people were approaching me and saying, "How would you fund? Like, could you use the negative gearing? Say, like, could you abolish negative gearing? And use those savings to to actually convert." Yeah, so Existing buy dwellings. out, yeah. Because otherwise you get into and, the trouble of, you know, you can't take yeah. things away without just compensation. So the conversion could get expensive. Yeah. Um, I can't before. see how that would be. I, like, that would just be enormously expensive yeah. and complicated. Yeah, so it's about new dwellings. Um, yeah, and it's about, it, which which uh, there's a million needed over yeah, yeah, the next yeah, 10 yeah, years yeah. above what is already, you know, um, planned. You know, like, like there's, a, there's enough for this to actually... Going forward, and you actually only need like you put the thumb on the scale, and if you're sort of putting your thumb on your scale, where suddenly fifteen or twenty percent, or thirty percent ideally, of all new dwellings are suddenly this new type of thing, that that very quickly, like over the course, like by the time it rolls around to the next election, the Labor government can be going, oh, actually, you know, we we've started to solve that problem, rather than like I think I think. Anthony Albanese runs the risk of being a one-term government if he doesn't – If he does, because people are going to be homeless by the end of the year. People are going to be chucked – this is Spain people are homeless 2008. Yeah. People are going to be chucked out of their homes over the coming months. And they already are. Like, I've got friends who have had 50% increases in their rent in the last few months. It's ridiculous. It is. I think this is a really interesting idea. And the, the, the thing about housing um, is that – what social policy analysts will tell you is that that's what you need to fix first. For people who uh, have multiple and often intersectional areas of need, um, if you solve housing and they have stability through where they're living and shelter, it is so much easier then to tackle all of the other areas of disadvantage that they may confront. Um, so, yeah, well, Charles, maybe you've just um, you've set us on the path of saving the world. <laughs> You've also set us on an interesting path. I think as editorial policy this year, we should get more academic modelling done on all our dumb ideas. I think I mean, yes. it, it's pretty can legit. We, I'm excited the, about this. Can we get the academic modelling done on sacking Philip Lowe? Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I'll I, do it. <laughs> well, that's... I don't know. I mean, Jim Chalmers, he very deliberately didn't give him a ringing endorsement um, yeah. in his interview on Insiders on Sunday. He didn't say we're about to sack him, but he didn't say, oh, yes, he's there mm. for as long as he wants to be. Either. Oh, I think so, the writing's I, very much on the wall. I, I think, I think it's too. I think Jim Chalmers read my piece in the shot uh, and yeah. just went, oh, okay. It's over like, for Clearly, it's over for fuel load. The yeah. shot so has how, spoken. <laughs> how long does academic modelling on this sort of thing take? Because I'm going to get you to do a follow-up on this piece once we get the... Once we get the numbers. Oh, I don't know. A couple of weeks. I don't know. Isn't it? Wouldn't it just be an Excel well, spreadsheet? We, I don't if know. We got the IPA to, if we got the IPA to do it. Yeah, yeah that's true. They've already done it and yeah. it's just like. It's a terrible idea. No, but I can tell you the timeline. So there are, there are things happening this year in terms of housing policy. And there's a sort of big moment in September where um, there's going to be a report made about the role of the RBA. And yeah. um, and there will be big changes. Now, things have to have like it has to be within that sort of time frame anyway, because people, as I say, are going to be homeless by the end of the year. Like it's it's too it's too urgent to go. Yeah. Oh well, the let's crisis get it all. is now. Yeah, that's right. You, you know, and 
and and you know, like Labor has to actually show that it's got bold reform credentials uh, ahead of the next election, because otherwise, <laughs> what's the point of it? I don't know that they've shown necessarily no. that they have much of a penchant for bold reform. No, but but, we'll but I think that what. But they've been sort of allowed a sort of leave pass because it's all like, the, oh, well, we're setting up a committee where we're investigating this, we're investigating that. If if they just get stuck in committee for the next if two and a half years. If they become, you know, RAD 2.0, yeah. then, yeah, no, yeah. disaster so will then, surely ensue. Yeah. So just thinking politically then, who who pushes this idea? Who pushes this reform? Because Anthony Albanese has spent the election campaign talking about how he grew up in a public house. I feel like that gives someone wanting to push an idea like this, a good line. It's a good angle of attack on, well, why yes. aren't you doing yes. more? You mm. can't use this for PR and then not actually act on those principles. Otherwise, you're just as bad as they are, if not worse, because you know how bad it is. Yeah, you've got the lived experience. Yeah. My view has always been that Labor aren't going to demonstrate really ambitious, um, bold um, reform uh, unless their feet are held to the fire, unless they're given permission to act, That's unless they can hide. how it works. Yeah, and I think that is why, it, I, to yes. my mind, would have been better if the independents had held the balance of power in the House as well, but they don't. Um, so it is going to have to be about, you know, political strategy um, plus the Senate and Pocock's and, very and, useful and, in that regard. And even Lambie, some, I think, on issues like this where it comes down to serious working-class issues is that she likes to be seen to be um, supporting her grassroots too. So there are um, political strategies that could be used, as Charles says, as that report into the Reserve Bank um, looms larger on the political landscape in the second yep. half of the year. Charles also made the good point in his essay, and I am going to stop saying that very soon. It does make me feel <laughs> uncomfortable. But he did say that no one, this is a unique problem because literally no one charged with solving this problem is suffering from this problem. Yeah. And that that really does dry up will a fair amount. We're all inherently self-motivated, especially politicians. Which is why I think, Dave, your point about um, harking back to history, um, where some of those politicians in their early lives um, did um, have to confront the reality of requiring government intervention in the form of provision of accommodation um, in a way now that they just like line up the investment properties. I mean, the number of parliamentarians who own investment properties is, like, jaw-dropping. I mean, it's mm. approaching sort of 70 80%. Like, so many of them have it. It's not like quite like AOC who couldn't afford to have pay rent both in her hometown and in D.C. until she got her first paycheck. Uh, I don't think that happened much much here, although I think it did happen to Max, the new Green. Mm. Maybe we get Max Chandler on the podcast. Let's get Max him. to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, okay. the Greens do. They went into the election with a policy of building a million new dwellings, yeah. which is about. Oh, that's too many. We only need half a million. Yeah. <laughs> Even Stevens. That's just <laughs> price stability. I want prices to go down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, because I was going to say the political solution, like who should lead it? Well, I don't know, but like it should be with guns and to the barricades. <laughs> like people who are good at. Building those makeshift barricades like in Les Miserables. Yeah, yeah. I was just yeah. thinking about with the chairs and, and suddenly that is an effective barrier for tanks. Those yeah, people yeah. those people are really... Uh, a bit of a bedwood. 
You know, they're they're it's, really caught up on this whole vaccine thing at the moment. The people that are building barricades, we need to let. Yeah, they're busy. Yeah, the Ukrainian military aren't that busy, are they? They seem to be good at that sort of stuff. They could they give could us some be... handy tips <laughs> on resistance against the seemingly implacable <laughs> in- oh, enemy. So glad. I'm so glad you're having bad ideas again, Charles. <laughs> so, hey, so before we go, just what's happening with the balloons? Like, well, is there a threat? Is this a threat? Well, it depends whether you're more worried about war between America and China or war between Earth and aliens. Right. Okay. So yeah. this, like the four little balloons coming down and sort of floating across Missouri, that is the aliens kind of first contact, is it? Well, it's always over places like Missouri. We've all seen. <laughs> I mean, always. Oh, this is also the Canadian-American border as well. It's like mm. kind of what, what, what's that about? Yeah. Are they going kind of Trudeau, Biden? Who do we think will be most inviting? Well, I mean, they've got to hedge their bets as well. It's like you don't get your foreign minister to take shots at a, you know, at a, at a political candidate. You've got to suss it out. So, like, yeah, one of the first balloon that was shot down... <laughs> Chinese said it was a weather balloon, which, by the way, weather balloon, UFO, yep. it's always the cover. Roswell, Area 51, yes. super sus. Yes. Then there were three more objects shot down over the course of the week. Mostly cylindrical, as I understand it. Cylindrical or oct- octagonal, <laughs> one of them was. Are we sure it wasn't the Marshmallow Man from Ghostbusters? Are we, are we sh- absolutely sure? I'm extremely familiar with the Marshmallow Man from Ghostbusters, having had a Ghostbusters fifth birthday party on the weekends. Because oh. the balloons no. are like 70 feet wide, aren't they? They're well, fucking massive. Well, the, mili- the military said they're deliberately not using the word balloon for these other three things because they don't really know what they are yet. Oh. They're, all, they're also not sure how they're flying, which is why the UFO oh. thing is going around at the moment. So wait a minute. So the weather balloon was a false flag operation by the to, aliens. To distract to, from the real UFOs. To distract from the real UFOs. Which, which are now they didn't distract us for very long. Which they're using to hassle rednecks in Missouri. <laughs> Did you see that when that first balloon was up in the sky still, Ted Cruz told his constituents yeah. to shoot at it? That's so fucking American. It's amazing. It's also so fucking American that if this is, it's not, if this is first contact, <laughs> we've shot them down straight away because the what Super Bowl was on and we couldn't be fucked with that shit right now. What it's if it's a really nice old guy from Up? <laughs> well, this is the thing. Uh, but I do think it, it's somehow appropriate that, you know, we all thought how horrendously naff it was when Morrison, uh, in those hideous days of his prime ministership, when he made his um, members of the government wear the Australian flag in their lapel, that the equivalent of the new Congress is actually a little badge of an AK 47. I mean, that's, mm. that's where America is now. It's not, the flag is not enough, it has to be an AK 47 pinned to their chest. Well, a Russian rifle. A Russian Apparently, rifle. <laughs> yeah, because it's all in the kind of the silhouette, <laughs> the immediately recognisable, you know, semi-automatic wow. weapon. <laughs> there we go. Okay, well, on that depressing note, um, <laughs> uh, that was the Shock Podcast. Now, we're going to be doing this uh, weekly from now on, and uh, from next week we'll also start to have guests. Um, oh, guests. Yes, guests. And so please tell your friends about it if you liked it. If you didn't like it, uh, I don't know. Yeah, just podcast. Keep, it to, your, keep your, it to yourself. <laughs> keep yeah. it to yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, just remove it from your downloads and let us never speak of it again. Yeah. And uh, we will see you next week. Okay, see you later.
Our gear is from Rode, and we are part of the Iconoclast Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.